Hey guys, thank you for checking out A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, a podcast where I ferret through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my ever-diminishing brain of about 500 remaining brain cells, and I take a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboy's look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless set theme every episode. I choose from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun and a warning that there's low-level humour, high-level swearing and hopefully medium-level entertainment for your ear holes. As a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I've missed something in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at recyclebin at a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast forward slash go fecky good self cockgoblin.com and I'll get back to you. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast, and you can check out the website, a rock and roll rabbit hole.com. There's a bunch of good stuff over there. Please rate, review, subscribe, share, all that sort of shit if you're digging the podcast. Thanks again. Apologies in advance. And here goes. Hey guys, it's been a while, but I'm sort of back. I've been busy with life in general, nothing exciting, so I won't bore you with the details, but I have also been busy getting an album sorted for my band, Pretty Follies, which I hope to share with you all soon. Anyway, way back in episode two, I did a rabbit hole dig on songs that I dig with girls' names in the title. So in fairness to us boys, if you can still use that term, I'm going to have a crack, if you can still use that term, at songs I like that have a boy's name in the title. I may go off topic. I'll probably repeat songs I've used before and interviews. I'll probably use songs and interviews I've used before because I can't remember what I've done in the past. And I hope it's slightly entertaining. And here's what we heard in episode two, Girls' Names. Go back and listen to episode two if you want to check that out. And here's some boy song titles that you won't hear in this episode. Oh, 
Fernando. Can you hear the drums, Fernando? Oh, I'm just wild about Harry. And he's Speaking of Harry, let's open the batting with the living ends, Uncle Harry. Okay, so um, this one's for all the uh, the relatives out there, the, the mums and the dads and the, the cousins and the second cousins, and this one's for the aunties and especially for the uncles. All right, children, uh, block your ears. Enjoy, Uncle Harry. Oh, Uncle Features members of Body Jar singing the backing vocals, and they also have a boy's name song, which I could have put in the Seven Up episode, which is episode 27, and I also could have slipped it in episode 19, I think it is, which is titles, not lyrics. And the Body Jar song is Adnam, the one armed bricklayer. Members of Blink-182 have responded to the tragic suicide last May of Columbine High School junior and star basketball player Greg Barnes, who hanged himself in his family's garage with Blink's Adam's song set to play continuously. The guys told MTV News recently about their feelings when they first heard the tragic news. That's an anti-suicide song, you know? It felt awful. I mean, the, the, the things that that kid has had to go through in his life is just, you know, very saddening. And then for him to end it that way is just really depressing. But Adam's song at the heart of the song is, you know, about having hard times in your life, being depressed and going through a difficult period, but then finding strength to go on and finding, you know, a better place on the other side of that. Adam's song was a very personal song for me. Uh, it was written about being lonely on tour and then coming home and being lonely when I got home. And I still feel that way sometimes. So for me, Adam's song is just as important now as it was. I'm in a lot better place now than I was when I wrote the song, but I still, I think people go, for me specifically, I go through cycles of uh, feeling great about everything. And I go through cycles where I doubt everything and, and fall into some kind of dark hole. And music always takes me out. 
And I always thought it was pretty cool how Mark Hoppus from Blink stole a couple of lines out of Come As You Are by Nirvana, because obviously Kurt Cobain committed suicide himself. I took my time, I hurried up, the choice was mine, I didn't think enough. Take your time, hurry up, chances yours don't be late. Next up, we have one of the most famous male names ever, although I've never met anyone with this name. A person that we've all heard of and we don't know his last name. And despite not knowing his last name, he does go by his initials as well, which is JC. And as I'm not a huge fan, I've just learned that the second letter is his title, not his last name. Then I saw him in the crowd. A lot of people had gathered round him. The beggar shouted to the lepers called him. The old man said nothing, he just stared about him. Now, recently we caught up with Chris Cornell from Soundgarden to ask him about, you know, there's been a little bit of controversy about uh, the imagery in his new video, Jesus Christ Pose, and this is what he said. The whole idea behind the song initially was um, me personally being irritated by the exploitation of, of the Christ Pose persecuted deity figure. You know, you see it in rock magazines and fashion magazines where you see rock stars and models like assuming that, that pose and how it was kind of irritating and, and uh, basically I'm sort of exploiting it to show that it's irritating to exploit it in the video. Um, it's, it's, a, it's probably one of the most widely seen images in, in the Western world and, and we just kind of uh, are making it a little bit more wider. So. Hmm. That was Chris Cornell from the band Soundgarden. Soundgarden is one of the bands that has a new album out, which is incidentally called Bad Motorfinger, which has also got a good street buzz. I was talking a little bit earlier when Nirvana was here. A lot of people are getting into Nirvana. A lot of people are really getting into the new Soundgarden album, and that's purely because it's very good. Right now, here's a video from Soundgarden. This is Jesus Christ Pose. So earlier, we heard the last full track of Queen's self-titled debut from 1973, and the song was called Jesus. And then we heard Green Day's fifth single from American Idiot, 
The song is nine minutes and eight seconds long and the single was edited down to six minutes 26, Jesus of Suburbia. And the JC that I believe in, Justin Curry, has a boy's name titled song on the Delamitri album, Waking Hours. Move away, Jimmy Blue. A struck match faded like a nervous laugh Beyond the halo of a naked bulb And your low voice mingles with your other halves School friends and second-hand clothes Eventually your world will shrink within four walls Of neglected debts and stolen stereos So move away Jimmy Blow Before your small, small town turns around and swallows you A drunk mother was the cue Legendary things that you do Behind a carnival tent With mud on your face Behind the old blue factory too So move away, Jimmy Blow Before your small, small town Turns around and swallows you A 16-year-old walked down the hall and into a Richardson High English class today, and his emotions, his agenda, far short of positive. As his classmates watched, he approached the teacher with a gun. But I think Jeremy, I think, I think I decided I will start talking about what that song is about. And, and actually, um, there's, a song, there's a place called Richardson. There's a town called Richardson, is it? In Texas? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, not far from here. That's where it happened. It was in Richardson, Texas. I saw a small paragraph in the paper about a kid named, um, well, his first name was Jeremy. And... Um, he uh, took it, he shot himself in the front of his English class. I was right across the room um, at my locker. I heard a shot and a girl came screaming out of the room, oh my God. People started running out of the room screaming and running everywhere and teachers were everywhere and then police officers showed up. Shock and fear um, went into my mind. Uh, all the students we ran to the back of the room and kind of huddled together. Then, Brittany made a split-second decision that will forever haunt her. Should I look? I remember thinking that, should I look? And I did. I looked. I just, out of, just, I don't know why. I don't know why I looked, but I did. And um, I'll never forget. I don't know that much I actually even thought about. Um, I'm really divulging a lot here, and and and. and and I should explain it, um, the fact that I thought of even calling up and finding out more, like I wonder why 
that happened. I wonder why he did it, and, and, and it seemed like Richardson sounded to me like a decent suburb, um, middle if not upper class. And um, the fact is, I, I didn't want to. Um, I thought that was intruding completely. And so um, I actually knew somebody in um, junior high school in San Diego, California, that, that did the same thing, just about. He, he didn't take his life, but ended up shooting up an oceanography room. I remember being in the halls and hearing it. Um, and I had actually had altercations with this kid in the past. I was kind of a rebellious fifth grader, and I think we got into fights and stuff. So it's um, it's a bit about this kid named Jeremy, and, and it's also a bit about a kid named Brian that I knew. and um, I don't know, the song... I don't know, I think it says a lot. I think it goes somewhere. And a lot of people interpret it different ways, and I really, it's just been recently that, I've been, like I said, I've been talking about the the true meaning behind it, and I hope um, no one's offended. And, and it's all, believe me, I think of, I think of Jeremy when I sing it. Zombie, ever seen a tacky white jumpsuit? 
Elvis is Dead by Living Colour. I actually saw Living Colour a few months ago and singer Corey Glover is still as good as ever. Speaking of Elvis, the other Elvis, Elvis Costello, has a great boy named titled song, Oliver's Army, which with time has suffered a little bit due to some of the lyrics, him dropping an N-bomb in there somewhere. And here's Elvis explaining it. Here's a song that I uh, wrote a, a whole new version of for tonight. Because the words that I chose to express myself when I was 23, 24 are not the ones I would choose now. And so I put this song away for a little while. But because we're all so close to one another, you can hear me very clearly when I, I say I stand by all those other words in the song. Don't start the talking I could talk all night My mind was sleepwalking While I'm putting the world to right Call careers information Have you got yourself so much suicide death and now the hint at an n-word let's lighten it up a bit with a song i missed in triple up here's 26 lee's in tenacious d's song lee JC story, this time by Jim Croce. Jim Croce's Bad Bad Leroy Brown was a number one single in the US in July 1973, spending two weeks at the top spot. And it was still in the charts when he died in a plane crash at age 30. Check out my Dead by 40 episodes for that and other uplifting stories. Bad Bad Leroy Brown won two Grammys in 1973 for Best Pop Male Artist and Record of the Year. Those character songs... I get out of a university in 1965, totally prepared for life in the 12th century. Uh, kind of looked around here, looked around there, and then I got this brown letter in the mail one day, signed by a general. It said, come play with us. So I went down to a place called Fort Jackson in South Carolina, where they took my extensive college experience and put me into the infantry. As a lineman, I climbed telephone poles it was communications, you know, stringing that wire from one place to another. And I met this guy down there who was in the company. His name was Leroy Brown. Now, Leroy was one of those guys that didn't know the meaning of no. 
You tell Leroy to do one thing, and Leroy would do another thing. He was just one of those kind of characters. He'd come from Chicago, been out in the street a long time, and had to make his own way. So he was about to keep on making it. He was down there a couple weeks, and he looked at me one night. We're sitting talking. He says, you know, Jim, I don't like this place, and I'm going to go home. So he got himself packed up, and he went home without telling anybody, except in the Army they call that AWOL, absent without leave. But he did come back at the end of the month to get his paycheck. Uh, and that was it. <laughs> Snap put him in the handcuffs and took him away, but didn't bother him. He got out a little later and still hung around. He was always the kind of guy that would keep people laughing unless he got in trouble with him. And this is uh, the tune he wrote about him, just called Bad Bad Leroy Brown. Croce's death, Freddie Mercury reprised the character Leroy Brown in his song Bring Back That Leroy Brown from Queen's album Sheer Heart Attack. And here's a quick listen to the amazing vocal track on Bring Back That Leroy Brown. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Bring back, bring back, bring back that Leroy Brown. Yeah. Bring back, bring back, gotta bring that Leroy Brown back. Bet your bottom dollar bill you're a playboy. Yeah, yeah. Daddy cool with a $90 smile. Ooh, ooh, and he get right out of town well, Gotta get up, steady up, shoot him down Gotta hit that ladder too Bring back, bring back Bring back that Leroy Brown yeah. Bring back, bring back Gotta bring that Leroy Brown back. Big bad Leroy Brown He got no common sense No, no. He got no brains but he sure got a lot of style can't stand no more in this here jail I gotta rid myself of this sentence Gotta get out the heat, step into the shade I Gotta get me that dead or alive Babe Big bad Leroy Woo woo Big bad Leroy Also, while I was doing some spring queening, I found Queen playing the song live in 1975 with hardly any vocals, just to show how great a live band Queen were. Bring 
Also have Mustafa. Ibrahim. 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 Twitter today that uh, you were going to be a guest on the show, and somebody just tweeted me, please ask how he got so many hooks into Lido Shuffle. <laughs> um, <laughs> the groove was just a shuffle, uh, a New Orleans kind of Fats Domino thing in my head. Uh, but I was working with this uh, young rhythm section of um, great, great young players who had their finger on the pulse, I should think, I guess the best way to say it. Um, they had their finger on the pulse of contemporary music. And um, that was just a style that they that they played in, and that's uh, the way it came out in the studio. It was uh, the arranger, David Page, I would think, that gave it a, a lot of its uh, character. Those guys went on to, for those who don't know, went on to become the, the band Toto. They were still, they were teenage high school kids, and um, they just um, were really tuned into the L.A. session scene and popular music and, and the black music dial as well. So it, it came together for all of us uh, with my recording. Lee 
Tito missed the boat that day He left the shack But that was all he missed And he ain't coming back He Gags 1976 album Silk Degrees that had Lido Shuffle on it sold 6 million copies, went to number one in Australia and number two in Canada and America. No stats on Norway. Me episode within an episode. Here's Johnny. talked about Be Good Johnny and Johnny Be Good in the Triple Up episodes, so I won't go on about them anymore. Here's a David Bowie, John named song called John I'm Only Dancing from 1972. thought Freddie Mercury might have lifted this guitar riff for a crazy little thing called Love, which came out about eight years later. And a couple of years after David Bowie released John I'm Only Dancing, he released a saxophone-laden sort of dancier version called John I'm Only Dancing Again.
Foo Fighters have Hey Johnny Park, which I played in a previous episode. I think it was the titles, not lyrics, or the drum intros. But today I'll play a demo from 1996, which has William Goldsmith on drums, not Dave Grohl. John, which starts with an F-bomb, which could be a good topic, songs that start with an F-bomb. George Harrison's 1970 triple album, All Things Must Pass, he had a song called It's Johnny's Birthday, which is a song he recorded after Yoko asked Donovan, Janis Joplin and George to contribute a song for John's 30th birthday. And it's actually just a tune that's sung to Cliff Richard's 1968 hit, Congratulations. It's Johnny's birthday, it's Johnny's birthday, and we would like to wish him all the very best. 
Contractually bound to put a Beatles song in, and by Jude I will. So here's the ballad of John and Yoko. Standing in the dockets of Hampton, trying to get to Holland or France. The man in the match says you've got to go back. You know they didn't even give us a chance. Christ, you know it ain't easy. You know how hard it can be. Ballad of John and Yoko is a bisexual named song, having both a male and female name in the title. And another bisexual named song that pops to mind with a Johnny in there. Right, up next, a man as sharp as the um, creases in his suit, Mr. Robert Palmer and Johnny and Mary. I'm in love. Johnny's always running around, trying to find certainty. He needs all the world to confirm. Bisexual named absolute classics. I love struck Romeo, sing the streets of serenade, laying everybody low with a love song that he made. Find the street light, steps out of the shade, says something like, You and me, babe, how about it? Juliet says, Hey, it's Romeo, you nearly give me a heart attack. Underneath the window, she's singing, Leila, I'm a boyfriend's friend. You shouldn't come around here singing up at people like that. Anyway, what you gonna do about it? Juliet, the dice was loaded from the start, and I bet many you exploded in my heart, and I forget, I forget. Movie song. When you're gonna realize it was just that the time was wrong. John Cougar Mellencamp, and uh, the song is Jack and Diane, and 
basically what the song is about. A lot of people thought, well, they heard, you know, it's funny when people listen to records, they only hear certain parts that are they are they the type of listener who listens to all of it. And a lot of people thought it was just about two kids growing up. I think the message is, is the uh, little line that says, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. As silly as it may seem, when I wrote the line, it kind of gave me a little bit of solid ground to realize that and everything isn't the greatest in the world, but you learn to deal with it, so it, it turns out to be uh, positive. And the video is a real inexpensive video to make. It costs uh, two grand as opposed to $200,000. So anyway, what it is is pictures of uh, me as a kid in eight millimeter film, and it was all done in, a, in an editing room, and uh, here it is, Jack and Diane. Kids growing up in the heartland. Jackie gonna be a football star. Diane's debutante backseat of Jackie's car. Sucking on chili dog outside taste freeze. Diane sitting on Jackie's lap, got his hands between his knees. Jackie say, hey, Diane, let's run off behind the shade of trees. Dribble off those Bobby Brooks, let me do what I please. Say, oh, yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Say, oh, yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone to walk on the shit never ends and the last boy and girl titled song is Harley and Rose by the Black Sorrows I think this is such a great sad song this time they said it was for real She'd take him back to where it started He would melt a heart of steel Life is a bitter disappointment She would hear young Harley say Yeah, you find something more important I will not stand in your way Like static on the dust It look comes back in style Holly and Rose They just lasted for a while Holly claimed there was no lover Nothing blooms this time of year While Rose was thinking of another did not see him disappear Like static on the dash Look comes back in style Holly and Rose They just lost it for a while Clock tumbling down the aisle Half forgotten smile Holly and Rose 
direction Ain't nothing to it, just relax He adds one more to his collection She strikes another useless match interesting story this they kind of just were having fun in the studio recording for some kind of gig supposedly we're going to find out the real story but this song was kind of not they had no idea this was going to end up on the radio and then j edgar hoover personally conducts a major investigation because the world thought or somebody in the fbi thought this was dirty all right well what turned out it happened, what actually happened, they turned these guys into an overnight sensation. The next five years, they were on the road with the Rolling Stones, the Beach Boys, the Righteous Brothers, the Zombies, Peter and Gordon, Paul Revere and the Raiders, shows like American Bandstand and Hullabaloo. These guys were hot and controversial because everyone was convinced they were saying something dirty. So, anyway, that was the uh, legend, the myth that we heard about it. There was a book or two out about it. And then all of a sudden, we had uh, the author of a new book out called Louie Louie from The Drummer. And he was talking about what it was like recording Louie Louie. And Jack Ely got in touch with him and he said, wait a minute, I'm the lead singer. I was there. He don't know what he's talking about. So, hey, Jack, thanks for being on the show and thanks for contacting me. Hi, Alan. How you doing? Doing great. Good to tell. Right. So, so uh, thank you. And uh, I guess a good place to start is uh, I don't. How did you find out I was on? He was on the show, and and uh, t- tell me what you felt that he had wrong. Well, um, every time anything happens about Louie Louie anywhere, I my my phone starts lighting up. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, you know over the years in music, I have friends everywhere, so. Somewhere, somebody, I don't even remember who it was, contacted me and said, hey, check this out. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you contacted me. So what he said, in essence, and I'll just go over from what I remember. During the time you went to record Louie Louie, you were in this awful studio. It was really meant for, like, industrial films or something. It wasn't even meant for bands. And you couldn't touch the microphone. You had to, you know, whatever the guy told you, just leave the mic where it is. Don't touch it. 
and you barely it wasn't even near your lips he said and he went on to say that uh you know you know they i know what he said they didn't want they didn't like the voice and so they tried to actually disguise the voice with louder music right now that's what he said what was the truth well the truth is that it wasn't an awful studio for for 1963 portland oregon it was the only soundstage studio there was Mm-hmm. And uh, they did all kinds of recordings and overdubs and and fixed film soundtracks there. And uh, so you know, it, by today's standards, yes, it was a very very modest studio. Sure. But back then, it was the only thing going. And uh, let's see where to begin. In the first place, I'm not sure where this whole thing got started about us making a recording to go to audition for a job on a cruise ship. That's exactly what he said. Well, now, now, now let me put it to you this way. If a top 40 band, which is what we were, right. we're going to make a tape to audition for a gig on a cruise ship, would we record two songs that no one had ever heard before? Yeah, that's right. You were a cover band. I don't think so. Yeah. I think that if we were really making a tape for an, uh, a cruise ship audition, we would have done the two most popular songs of the day. And probably more than that. We'd probably have recorded a half a dozen songs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, he also said it only cost 30-some dollars. Well, actually, it cost us 10 bucks a piece, 50 bucks. 50 and, bucks uh, for, the to- for Louis Louis' total recording session. Right. Okay. It's so cool. And uh, nobody, you know, Lynn's dad wasn't even there, so I don't know how he could have put up the money, which is what I was heard, which was what I was told was said. So um, we each kicked in ten bucks. Mm-hmm. Is how it turned out, and the guys that didn't have the cash on them at the time reimbursed Lynn's mom later. So this this is really interesting, Jack. And if you just tune in, we have Jack Ely with us, the lead singer of the Kingsmen, Louie Louie, and a lot of other songs. Jolly Green, Jolly. Here we play. Here's just a little snippet. Oh, I can't. It's not even cute. Well, I actually okay. was only singing Louie Louie. Oh, so you were just on the Louie Louie song. That's right. Okay. I was I was gone by the time the. Uh Actually, by the time the album even came out. Oh, so I see what happened. He that's came, so, so Dick Peterson, the drummer who has this book out, Louie Louie, he came later, and when he wrote about the recording session of Louie Louie, he wasn't even there, is what you're saying. No, he wasn't. Okay. Uh, Lynn Easton was the drummer on oh. Louie Louie. Okay, okay. And Haunted Castle, which was the backside. Right. Okay, now getting back to this. Um, sure, go ahead. I don't know what anybody else in the band thought, but Ken Chase, the producer, and I, the singer, thought we were making a record. And Ken was the music director for the local rock and roll station in in Portland at the time. Mm -hmm. So he heard a lot of songs every week. Some got played, some didn't. So, you know, when he goes, hey, it's a take, it sounds great. We all just kind of went, huh, are you sure? It sounds pretty, pretty, you know, low budget to us. Right. Oh, no, man. This captures that live sound that you guys always have at the club all the time. This is what we're looking for. Okay, if you say so. 
Because you guys uh, are about, we you're about 16. Kind of over the quality of the recording. You were about 16 years old, 17 years old this time? No, actually I was 20. Oh, you were 20, okay. Yes. I was the oldest one in the band. Okay. Um, Lynn, Mike, and Bob were 19, and Donnie, the keyboard player, was 15 at the time. So this is interesting. So how did it get where the words were not easy to understand? Was there any uh, attempt to, to try to make your voice less distinctive or something? No. In, in order to capture what Ken thought was the live sound, he had us set up in a circle with me standing in the middle, uh, singing into the mic. And, and it still didn't sound quite right. He had us run through about eight bars or so, and it still didn't sound quite right to him. Mm -hmm. So he had uh, a technician come in and take the mic and put it on a boom and stick it up at, at the ceiling. That's about a 15-foot ceiling. So the mic was hanging probably, I don't know, 18 to 24 inches off the ceiling, and I was directly under it, leaning my head back, yelling up <laughs> at this mic. Really? How many feet away were you about? Well, uh, I was approximately 5'10", so the, the mic's up there at 14 feet. Wow. Well, that's amazing. So that's why we didn't know what you were saying. So, Well, it didn't have anything to do really with how far the mic was away from me. What it really had to do with is how words get enunciated when your head's tipped all the way back and you're yelling up. Ah, that's not interesting. Because, you see, Louie, Louie didn't come out like Louie, Louie. I would say it when I'm standing facing normal, when my head's all stretched up and back. Yeah. It came out Louie, Louie. forking it there and I'll come back soon with part two. As I hinted at earlier, I'm going to play my band Pretty Follies first single, Worth the Fight. Hopefully someone out there knows someone called Worth, so it fits in the episode. Please check us out on Instagram, Pretty Follies Band, and yeah, I'll see you in a couple of weeks with a part two of this. Thanks guys. Bye.
Fuck was that?